your Bibles tonight and open to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. You notice he said he began praying yesterday about who to uh, have fill in for him. So I found out last night. And uh, so here we are. I have to start off by apologizing to my Sunday school class. Uh, because a lot of what you've heard Sunday morning is going has been reworked into a sermon for tonight, and uh, but that will do you good because I do have a few people in my Sunday school class who are kind of hard headed and they need it a second time. I think no names mentioned. Uh, if you're not in my Sunday school class, we meet every Sunday morning at 9:45, right over here in a room that's referred to as the Home Builder Sunday School Room. Uh, that's where we meet. You're welcome to come. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 10. I may have said 11. Hebrews chapter 10 tonight. And we'll look at a couple of verses. And then over into chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 10, and we will begin uh, at verse number 35. And if you found that, please stand out of respect for God's word if you're able to do so. Uh, if not, just remain seated, follow along there, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse number 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Look at verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in him chapter 11 verse 1 now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen for by it the elders obtained a good report through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear now skip down to verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Heavenly Father, we just ask for your blessing upon the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts and give us the truths that we need tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. The Hebrew people being written to here were new believers. They were new Christian people in the first century church. They were experiencing some very, very difficult times. Uh, in fact, they were just struggling. Uh, one of their struggles was the fact that most of them had been brought up in Judaism, which is an, uh, an obedience to the law. It is an outward religion of works. It's what it had become. Uh, and they were struggling now as new believers of turning to Christ and trying to live a life of faith. Uh, these struggles were going on within them and trying to make adjustments to this new life and the teachings of Christ. But also they had some persecution. So they had to deal not only with the struggles they were dealing with internally, but they were struggling without as well. Uh, persecution was a real big problem for them. 
And so they were getting pressure on the inside of things they didn't understand and it was not what they expected, this, this life in Christ. And they were also getting this um, great amount of pressure on the outside to come back to Judaism. The temptation was to give up on this life of faith that they had found. And their expectations they had when they began following Christ uh, was not meeting up with the reality of what it really meant to live by faith. Uh, I think in our day and time we still deal with this issue. We don't have these, these particular struggles in a lot of ways, but we still have struggles without uh, that are pressing upon us and we still have struggles within as we struggle ourselves in trying to live by faith. The book of Hebrews was written to these young believers to counter this discouragement and frustration. The writer encourages them to live by faith, and especially in Hebrews chapter 11, he begins to show that living by faith has been the way of life for all saints, beginning with Abel. He lists a number of elders or saints from the past and shows how they live by faith. I don't know the number that are there, but the incidences that are covered entail every facet of life, and the people vary from every walk of life. Their situation and circumstances were not unique, though they probably felt it was. Everyone else had similar experiences, and that's one reason why he was listing all these people. The bottom line is that no matter who you are, no matter what your situation is, God wants you to live by faith. Before we begin tonight, we need to establish what faith means. Faith is not what we would refer to as hope. Hope, we hope for some des desired thing. We desire something and we say, oh, I hope I'm able to get that. I hope I'm able to accomplish that. I, I hope that things work out this way. Uh, that's not what faith is. It is not just saying, I believe it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. You cannot will it to happen. That's not Bible faith. Hoping for a desired thing or some preferred outcome is not biblical faith. The faith spoken of in the Bible is strictly limited here sometimes it's mentioning the whole doctrine of the faith like our faith is contained here but in Hebrews the word faith that we're looking at tonight is speaking of a belief in the word of God as being absolute truth and believing it to the to the extent that you order your life and act in accordance to it it's a belief in the Word of God that affects your behavior. It's not just a talk about faith, but it is a walk showing faith. Faith, no matter whether it's biblical or worldly, always has a basis. Everything we believe has a basis. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 7 about the wise man and foolish man who uh, you know, hear his sayings. Those that do them are like the wise man that built his house on the rock. The foolish man who heard the sayings and did them not built his house on the sand. 
And when the storms came, they were exposed. And it's so true today. When the storms of life do come, it exposes the basis of our faith. Biblical faith is based solely upon the Word of God. The world's faith is based on a host of many things. So-called science. Follow the science, they say. No, we follow the Word of God. Many follow logic and human reasoning. Some revert to fleshly desires. Many operate based on circumstances or public opinion. We believe certain things based on these, and I'm afraid as Christians many times we get torn away from believing the Word of God when the pressure gets on, and we result in the world's type faith that follows and believes things from human reasoning and fleshly desires and the circumstances that are going on around us and public opinion. Men will trust most anything except the Word of God, politicians, news media, humanistic professors. Most of the time, it's their own prejudiced and unsupported ideas. We quickly avoid the Word of God, believing it, even though there's an incredible amount of evidence to support its every claim. As Christians, the basis of our beliefs must be the Word of God. The place we stand on issues must be where the Word of God stands. The Word of God is our only rule of faith and practice. There's two aspects that I want us to see tonight. First of all, I want us to see the requirement to live by faith. If you're going to live the Christian life, it must be lived by faith if you're going to succeed. There is no other way to live the Christian life than by faith. It's the very basis of it. We are saved by faith. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace are ye saved through faith. But not only are we saved by faith, we are to live by faith. As Hebrews 10.38, we read it a moment ago, says, That statement, the just shall live by faith, is in the Bible four times. It first appears in Habakkuk 2.4. And then Paul Brings it up in Romans 1.17, in Galatians 3.11, and then the writer of Hebrews here in Hebrews 10.38. Faith is what Christ looked for in his earthly ministry. Such statements as, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel, as he spoke about the centurion. Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee to the woman with the issue of blood he said daughter be of good comfort thy faith hath made thee whole to the two blind men who asked to be healed he said according to your faith be it unto you no doubt throughout the gospels many more accounts we could look at but we see that God always was looking for and always responded to faith but faith is hard to find. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? You know, when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's a rhetorical question. And it's more of a statement that faith is hard to find. It is what Christ rebuked the disciples for 
most in his ministry. And I want us to look at a couple of places. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. This is going to kind of be like a little Bible study kind of message tonight. But Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is preaching away for several chapters here. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 30. He said, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Notice this, O ye of little faith. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now here were the disciples all gathered up by the seaside, and Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he is rebuking them here, because they are worried about material needs and are anxious about them. And he rebukes them and he says that they had little faith. Take note of that. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Verse number 23. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23. And when he was entered into his ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep, and his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye, so, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Again, Jesus rebukes them, even in this desperate situation, the disciples in the midst of this storm on the sea, their hearts were stricken with fear by what was going on, but Jesus rebukes them for having little faith. Little faith. Look in Matthew chapter 14. We move on through the ministry of Jesus and here again we see the disciples getting rebuked. Matthew chapter 14, verse number 28. The disciples were out on the sea and they realized that was Jesus out there. And this is the instance where Peter walks on the water. In verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. And he said, come. There's the word of God, by the way. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? So here we see Peter the disciple the great Peter who doubts due to circumstances that are going on around him and realizing his inability to overcome them. Little faith. Matthew chapter 16 now. A couple of pages over. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 6. Matthew 16 and verse 6. The, they just had the feeding of the 5,000 and... Then there was a confrontation with the Pharisees. 
Matthew 16, 6, Then said Jesus unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And here's what the disciples did. They reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which was way off base, wasn't it? Verse 8, Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, Again, here's the review. O ye of little faith. Why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. These disciples did not understand how what Jesus said applied to their life. And the reason being because they had little faith. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. In verse 16, a man had come wanting his son uh, was possessed with a demon and wanted him healed and taken care of and the demon cast out. And he comes to Jesus and says, I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Look at this, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, which they obviously did not have, Ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Now we go through all of these stories tonight to emphasize the fact that if we're going to live the Christian life, we have to live it by faith. It goes on with the disciples, and there's other instances that we could look at. I would love if we had the time to go over to Luke chapter 22 where we saw at the end of Jesus' ministry where he's, he's talking to Peter before he gets arrested and he tells Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Isn't that something? Jesus telling, telling Peter, I have prayed for you. Jesus knew that Peter was about to come upon the greatest challenge in his life. But Jesus was praying for him. I wonder what it could be that he was praying for. Was he praying for strength? Was he praying for wisdom? Was he praying for power? Was he praying for help? No. He only had one request. When Jesus prayed for Peter, he prayed that his faith fail not. On and on we could go, but we do not have time to do so. God has not changed the way he develops and grows disciples. Just as God put these disciples in situations that brought anxiety, fear, doubt, inability, lack of understanding, ineffective ministry, all these problems were caused by faith problems. God hasn't changed. 
if God is going to develop and grow us as his disciples, he is likewise going to put us in circumstances and situations that will challenge our faith. And when he does, it's going to seem impossible. When he does, it's going to expose our inabilities. When he does, it is going to threaten the loss of the things we hold dear. The requirement of faith. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote chapter 11. Because what these young Hebrew Christians were experiencing, they had expectations of what it was going to be like to live by faith for God. But the reality as it hit them wasn't measuring up. And they were ready to quit. I think that could be said of us. Because God puts us in these very same situations that challenge our faith. And what we expect God to do many times. And how we expect God to do it doesn't ever come to pass. And what he allows to happen. And what he takes. What he lets fall apart can be heartbreaking. And when you look into the lives of people and see the examples written in Hebrews chapter 11, you can see what living by faith really looks like. And I want us to take, we're not doing them all, don't worry. (laughs) I want us to take one and we're going to have to fly through it one person to see what living by faith really looks like. Turn, if you would, real quickly. Genesis, chapter number 28. We're going to look into the life of Jacob. Now, Jacob did not start out well in life. But the longer that he lived, the better he lived. And the reason why he improved his lifestyle and his character was because of faith. And by the end of his life, he had become a hero of faith that's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. As we begin to look into the life of Jacob, his early years were wrought with sin and he had no no regard for God even though God had chosen him and uh, wanted to pass the Abrahamic covenant down through him. Uh, Jacob had stole his brother's birthright. He had deceived his father and stole the blessing of the firstborn. And it was this incident that made Esau, his brother, very upset. Rebekah and Jacob came up with the plan of fleeing, and that's exactly what Jacob did. He fled to escape threat upon his life and he went to his mother's brother, his uncle Laban. And on his way after he was about to leave the land of Canaan, God revealed himself to Jacob at a place called Bethel. And that's recorded in Genesis chapter 28. Many of you probably know of Jacob's dream. And it is there that God revealed to him the covenant that he had made with his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. And now he was making it with him. 
Now I want you to note, we don't have time to read it all, but I want you to notice verse 15, Genesis 28, verse 15. And notice what God told Jacob that night as he was leaving home, headed to his uncle's. And behold, I am with thee, God said, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. And notice this phrase especially, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Very important for later on. So Jacob, he gets up, he heads on to Haran where his uncle Laban is, and he does. Meet him, he does find wives, he works for Laban for 20 years. And after 20 years of service, God calls him to come back to Canaan. This instance in chapter 31 and verse 3 where God calls him to come back and he obeys is the first instance in Scripture where we find Jacob doing what God had told him to do. He was now taking the first step of living by faith. But in doing so, in coming back to Canaan, who was waiting for him? His brother Esau. And oh, if you read the account, we don't have time to go through it, but if you read the account of how fearful he was and how he, boy, how he spread out his family and put the most important ones in the very bag, the ones important to him, and how he had presents lined up coming to Esau, trying to appease him before they ever meet, the fear is obvious. Though he was fearful, he was obeying what God said and he came back to the land of Canaan. His faith was little. That's why he had to deal with fear. He made it back to Canaan and his 12th son was about to be born. But the hardships for Jacob the ones he was about to face were the hardest ones in his life. And how often that's true for those who decide they're going to live by faith. No doubt, Scripture doesn't say. But I can just imagine, in our vernacular, Jacob probably said, God, I followed you by faith. And now all this. <laughs> well, he lost his wife in the birth of that 12th son, Benjamin. His wife, Rachel, died. The scripture doesn't record Jacob's response to that other than that he, is, he put a pillar up upon her grave. Does not say anything about what he said about his grief. But if you know anything about Jacob and how much he loved Rachel, that love was transferred to his sons Joseph and Benjamin. And we can see his possessiveness of him and his obsession with protecting them because of the love that he had for his wife and now these boys. He lost his wife in the birth of the 12th son. 
But then he's going to lose Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 37, most people begin reading the life of Joseph and give little regard to Jacob. I want you to look in Genesis 37. After Joseph's brothers had sold him in slavery and they concocted the scheme to come back and deceive their father and make him think that Joseph was dead, I want you to see what Jacob had to deal with. In Genesis 37, verse 31, And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the coats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And here's what Jacob did. Look at it. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And he continued to do so to the point that the children were worried about him. In verse 35, And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. <laughs> what, a, what grief came into his life. Here's a man who's decided to live by faith. And God allows this grief to come. How's he supposed to handle it? By faith. By faith. He is going to carry this grief for 20 years. It's a long time to carry a burden. But God is working not only in the life of Joseph, getting him to Egypt, but he's working in the life of Jacob as well. Joseph did go on to Egypt, and we know the process and years that it took for that to happen. The seven years of plenty come, and the first few years of Famine begin to come. And Canaan is about barren as can be, and they need food. Jacob sends ten of his sons to go to Egypt to get that food. Keeps Benjamin at home. They go, and they unwittingly come across Joseph, and Joseph recognizes them, and we're very familiar with the story of Joseph and what happened. He ends up, calling them spies and saying, you're going to have to prove that your story is true. If you're going to get any more food, I'm going to send you back with food in case you're telling the truth, but I'm going to hold your brother Simeon as a captive. And when you come back, you're going to have to bring Benjamin, your younger brother you claim you have, as proof that you are telling me the truth. And so on this first trip as they return, they are certainly fearful of telling their father what had happened. And we see that transpire in Genesis chapter number 42.
Genesis chapter 42 and verse number 29. And they came unto Jacob their father, the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies, and they go through and tell him the whole story. Down at verse number 36, And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and he will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me, he said. Have you ever been at that spot? You ever been there? Where all these things are against me. Here I am trying to live for God and trying to do what's right and all these things are against me. In reality, all those things was God working for him. Huh? Yeah. And it's no different for us. We just don't see it. We just don't see it. Verse 38, he's very adamant. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. There is no way you're going back to Egypt with my son Benjamin. But finally, he was forced to do so. It had gotten so bad, there was no other choice, no other option. The brothers do make the trip back with Benjamin. Joseph reveals himself, and he sends an entourage, a caravan, if you will, to bring all of them back to live in Egypt until the famine is over. That takes place in Genesis chapter 45. And I want you to see this. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 25. Genesis 45, 25. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told them, saying, Joseph is yet alive. Now that was some news for Jacob, huh? That was a shocker. And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted. And he believed them not. He said, no, he's dead. They said, no, he's alive. And verse 27, they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And notice this. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, isn't it interesting? Good picture of weak, little faith here. But he had to have some physical evidence before he would believe his son was alive. Now, I find many times I'm that. When I struggle in my faith, I can't just take God at his word. I want some physical evidence. 
That's a sign that I have a weak faith. That entourage did come. And in chapter 46, verse 1, And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices. He's about to leave Canaan and go into Egypt. Now that was a no-no. Abraham had got into trouble in Egypt. Isaac started to go. And God rebuked him and told him not to. Jacob was leery of Egypt. So he wanted to go see his son in Egypt, but he wasn't sure this was the thing. But God appeared to him right before he was leaving Canaan. In verse 2, God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said to Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt. But notice this. And I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Now that promise of him leaving Canaan and coming back is very similar to the promise many years ago when he fled from Esau at Bethel near Beersheba where he was and told him, that I am going to bring you back to Canaan. And some 20 years later, God brought him back. And now he is making the same promise again. You are going to leave, but I'm going to bring you back. This time he's more apt to trust him, isn't he? Yeah, second time around for sure. Well, Jacob does go and there is a sweet, sweet reunion with Joseph and his father. I have to look at it. Chapter 46, verse 29. As that caravan was coming back, Joseph and Jacob hadn't seen each other for over 20 years. Genesis 46, verse 29. Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him, and look at this. And he fell on his neck. <laughs> that wasn't like hugging your brother or sister, was it? He fell on his neck. And it says, and wept on his neck a good while. Don't know how long a good while is. But I suspect it's a good while. you imagine that reunion? Jacob thought his son had died. He found out he's alive. And he comes back. There he is. And they embrace. And they weep for one another's shoulder for a good while. God's promises are true. All these things are against me. But in time, God's promises are true. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Given enough time, everything that God has said that hadn't come to pass yet will come to pass. And everything he has promised you and me, he is going to do. I don't care what circumstances say. I don't care what science says. I don't care what human reasoning says. All I care about is what God says. And if we are going to be successful and faithful in the Christian life, we must be people who live by faith, believing God's word and living our lives according to it. I don't know what your situation is, but I know that God expects us to live by faith. And we can and we should. Let's pray. Father, thank you for...